Two weeks ago on the Global Health Pursuit podcast, we spoke with Sign's founder and president, Dr. Lewis Zirkel. Last week, we spoke with Jean Dillner, Sign's CEO. And this week, we get to speak with Sign's very own engineering manager, Terry Smith. Today, we're diving deep into the engineering of it all. Now, I'm not going to bore you with all of the technical details of the engineering world, but I really did want to know how Terry and the sign team worked together to create orthopedic implants and instruments that serve patients in populations that don't necessarily have reliable electricity and places where the infrastructure may not be the greatest. Now, according to the WHO, about 1.3 million people die each year from road traffic crashes. And more than half of these deaths occur among vulnerable road users, pedestrians, bicyclists, and motorcyclists. On top of this, between 20 to 50 million more people suffer non-fatal injuries. And many of these people incur injuries that are disabling, to say the least. As the engineering manager, Terry speaks to us about how science design process to create trauma implants and instruments is so different than the norm. He speaks with us about how they work with surgeons from all around the world to create better products and implement relevant education so that each science surgeon is able to optimally treat their patients. So how do they begin to create devices to serve these patients? Keep listening to find out. Before we get into the episode, here's a little bit about Terry. Terry joined Sign in January of 2017 as the engineering manager, responsible for developing and maintaining Sign products. He brings a broad background in product design, product development, program and project management in the aerospace renewable energy and instrumentation technology with experience in small and large organizations, allowing him to navigate the challenges and rewards of startup companies and corporate organization. Prior to joining Sign, Terry held leadership positions at the Boeing Company, Infinia Corporation, and Bruker. Throughout his career, He has worked with domestic and international teams and customers to turn ideas into designs and products. Terry is an inventor on four different patents and earned his Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering from the University of Wyoming. My name is Hethel Bauman, and this is the Global Health Pursuit. Hi, Terry. How are you? I'm good, Hethel. How are you? I'm so great. I just want to mention that You know, I've been looking forward to this interview so, so much, not just because I have a background in med device and orthopedics, but because when I first heard about Sign, I want to say like three or four years ago, you know, I learned about the unique angle that you guys take, your team has taken to not only design and manufacture implants for low resource areas all all around the world, but honestly, like the fact that you guys really get the surgeons involved from all around the world, it's, it's truly, I think it's really, really inspiring. So with that being said, I want to welcome you onto the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm very excited. It's always, like I said, it's always fun to share about sign their mission and the work we're doing. 
firstly, I want to learn about a little bit about you and okay. get a little bit of a story behind how you got to sign. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. Maybe I'll give you the kind of the big picture and then I'll, I'll zero in on, on sign a little bit in the relationship yeah. I've had with sign over the years. I have a mechanical engineering degree from University of Wyoming. My career is really, well, span decades now, which is kind of scary to say that out loud. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, it's kind of come in three phases where, uh, and it's all been really related around product development or research, right? So I've been really fortunate, super blessed career. Um, started in aerospace, uh, mm. you know, structural design on, the, on essentially military airplanes. Okay. That's very different from it's what you're really doing now. Right, right? So I have this, you will, yeah, as, as I talk a little bit, you'll see that I had this huge diversity, large companies, small companies, startups, and, and now a nonprofit. But so did structural design work at Boeing for a number of years. I have, you know, out of that, there was a, three or four patents. Some cool. of that work, it's kind of fun to walk into a, a Air Force museum and see an airplane that you actually have parts that you design. Oh, so cool. So it's really cool, right? I mean, it's just like every one of my projects that I've worked on over the years seems is like a dream job for, for some people. So I feel really, really blessed and fortunate to have the career that I have. So after spending about 16 years in that space, I decided to move to a smaller company. And that was, again, aerospace related in that we were working on deep space uh, electrical power generators for deep space probes. And that lasted a couple of years. There were some contracts there. And uh, the CEO at the time decided that technology could be used, also be used in renewable energy space. Okay. Uh, and so we were headed down a path for a few years on developing a renewable energy product. And we didn't quite hit that curve right. It was our timing was a little off. Our cost structure wasn't quite right. But the technology ended up still exists. And there's a couple companies uh, that are using it. Uh, one for a cryocooler uh, application. And then another is a, like a remote power and compressors for compressed natural gas. So those, mm -hmm. those are going up. Probably the, the coolest thing out of that is when I first started that company or started at that company, there was like 35 of us, right? So I go from this company of 200,000 people where there's, you know, where I, I can just go to the, uh, you know what your job is and you I, go in. You right. <laughs> well, and then I have this list of experts, right? So if I have any question on any topic, I can go to the internal phone book and find some technical fellow that's that person that has been doing this for years. Right. And mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so then I go to this 35 person startup where you had to do everything, right. Literally everything. So anyway, but that was, that was very fun. There's kind of the unique story out of that particular group was we delivered for these electrical generators to NASA in uh, Cleveland, Ohio at, the, at the, the, the Glenn research center. And that was back in about 2004 timeframe three of those engines are still running and they haven't had any maintenance done on the engines. The test stands and all of that has have broken and fixed. So the, it's been probably a, a year and a half ago since I've talked to one of them, but they're still running. And that was the intent, right? They needed to have, you know, 20 or 30 year lifespan. And so they're going to, they're pretty close on that. Anyway, that was kind of fun. Then I switched from that into, you know, I kind of went into this technology space and, mm -hmm. and that was part of it. And then, uh, I had another opportunity to work for a company, and we did handheld uh, X-ray fluorescence instrumentation. Okay, moving into the health space. Okay, no, it's actually not. Uh, what? It, no, no, it's it's more of a quality. It's more of a quality <laughs> inspection tool. So it looks like this little oh. Star Trek. Literally, it's like a little star, an old Star Trek phaser-looking device. Our first one really kind of looked like that, and so it's a little X-ray yeah, and a sensor in this handheld device. And you, if you want to know what a, a metal alloy is. You can place this thing against it. You pull the trigger. It generates this X-ray. 
if he had chemistry and you remember your valence electrons, the X-ray <laughs> knocks. Yeah, really, I don't remember. Seriously, I had to read all of that. Uh, and so anyway, but it'll tell you what that alloy is, right? Or if you want to know the actual chemistry, it'll give you the chemical makeup of the, of the alloy. And that, oh, wow. those are instruments that are used, quality control, people will use them. So if you order, so we actually have several here in the building. So when we order raw material, we want to know that what, what was shipped to us is what we ordered. You know, right, so right. You have material certs and it comes with all of that and they're serialized, right? Particularly for implant materials. But, you know, we have had an instance where we had ordered an alloy called Nitronic 60, and they shipped us 17.4s for an instrument, which would have been a very big deal if we would have made Oh, wow. If we would have made parts out of it and shipped them, right? That's a huge deal to not. Yeah. And so uh, so that device was is used to just kind of, part of that's quality inspection. And so anyway, that's, that was kind of a fun job to have for a while. And I had a, in, in all of these, I've been really in engineering management. Right. So I had a team of software engineers and electrical engineers and mechanical engineers developing products around that. And then, um, you know, I'm going to roll back just a little bit. So the company that, that I worked at where we were doing the deep space power generation and the renewable energy, at that time, I had had one of the engineers had left us. That was a cyclic company. So we like hired a lot of people, laid off a lot of people, hired mm. a lot of people, right? It was, we were in that, in that mode. And, uh, one of my engineers that, that like, oh, he, he says I fired him. It really, he, it really didn't happen that way. It really didn't happen that way. You're like, it's just semantics, whatever. <laughs> no, no, right, right, right. Well, he had an option to take a, you know, to take a package to leave or, or mm-hmm. try to stick it out with us and hope we raised money and then not have anything. You know, the potential was he was going to continue to have a job or we weren't going to have money and we're all looking for jobs, right? And so he chose, he chose a package so that he had some, you know, Essentially, was and then he said that you fired him. (laughs) He works for me again now, so it's like, oh wow, uh, yeah, that's a whole story. So he came to work at Sign, and so we met Sign and Dr. Zirkel, our founder, and then Gene, the CEO, kind of through um, that relationship. And also, uh, I was working with Gene Dilmer, the CEO, on an economic development committee where we would do manufacturing expos locally. And Sign always had a booth. And so uh, we kind of started supporting them. Like they would come over to the engineering team that I was running and say, hey, like like lunch and learns. And they'd explain to us what they were doing. And they had a couple of engineers at the time uh, working for Sign. And we would try to help them out with ideas, right? And or do mm. some analysis, you know, whatever we could do to add, you know, uh, give them a hand on their project. So we did that for quite a while. And so... And then at one point I got laid off <laughs> in between jobs. And I'm talking to Jean, the CEO, and she's like, hey, we need you to do an internal manufacturing audit. And I'm like, Jean, I know, I know nothing about what you're doing, right? About so, med devices? About med devices, you know, how to do an audit. And so um, I happened to have a, a colleague, an ex-colleague, that she had done that for a while. And so she's like, here, Terry, I'm going to give you the crash course. And uh, so I came to sign for about six weeks and got paid like minimum wage, right? I mean, it was nothing. And when was this? This was back in about 2011, 2012. Okay. So about, you know. Uh, and how big was Sign back then? There were probably about 25 people. Okay. Yeah. Or 20. Yeah. They were just trying to get their ISO 13485. So, okay. Know, they'd had a couple of countries that said, hey, if you're going to ship to us, you got to be ISO certified. And what is ISO for anybody who hasn't, who doesn't so know about It's that? an international standard that's used a lot for product, uh, and it doesn't matter whether it's a medical device or there's uh, if you have consumer products, it's generally a European standard. 
a lot of U.S. companies follow them. And so there, it's really a quality uh, standard. And so it's like if you're going to develop medical devices, 1345 is required by a lot of countries, health ministries. It just tells you how to set up your quality management system. Mm-hmm. And it's really uh, how you manage the organization, how you how you procure products, how you like qualify suppliers. It gives you requirements around it. It doesn't tell you exactly how to do it. Well, let me just step back. ISO in the, the ISO 101 is you tell me what you're going to do. Right. right? So you write down your processes of how you're going to do your work. Then you have to go do it. And then you have to have the paperwork that tells you that shows that you did what you said you were going to do. And that's, right. I, that's ISO in a nutshell, right? That's really what it is. You know, <laughs> you know, tell me what you're going to do, go do it. And then, and then show me that you did that in an audit. And when it comes to uh, developing and releasing a medical product, uh, particularly for us in the orthopedic world, it is, they give you, there's a section called design control and it really parallels closely what the FDA requires. And those two are starting to merge now. FDA is starting to really kind of take on that ISO 1345 and they say they're going to harmonize it. You know, they've been saying that for years, but in the end, uh, as for sign, we are, we are registered with the FDA as a, as a medical device manufacturer. With the 1345, we have to do design control, what's called design control. And, mm-hmm. and again, it's just a, it's a way of a formal process to get requirements for your product. Then it's a way of you map out how you, you can trace how those requirements go through your design process and then mm-hmm. how you're going to test to make sure that what you, so it's called design verification. The design that you did is what you said you were going to build. And then... <laughs> You have to do the validation side, and, and hopefully we'll yep. talk about that in a little yes. bit. Yes. But uh, which proves that what you designed is what the user wanted, right? And right. So it's really, it's really that's the basics of it. And there's a lot of there's a lot of paperwork involved. Sometimes. Oh, so, so much paperwork. I I know. So, I have. Uh, yeah. So like verification is more like in-house testing, mechanical testing, all of that stuff. And then validation is like, is it going to work in the user's hands? You know, so that's essentially in a nutshell what verification and validation. I remember like back when I was in school, there was a lot of confusion around like, what is that? Even in industry, there still is, right? Oh, interesting. You know, so because they don't teach you, this isn't something you learn in college. No. Right? Unless you, yeah, unless you have a really special class, but for the most part, you don't. Hey there, I hope you're enjoying this episode. And if you are, would you do me a tiny favor? Show me some love by doing one or more of these three things. A. Click the support this podcast link in the description to donate a few dollars toward the production of this podcast. My dream is to do this full time and your support would mean the world. B, you can write me a review on Apple Podcasts and or rate me on Spotify to give me a boost in the algorithm. Or C, share this episode with someone who would love it just as much as you do. I truly and deeply appreciate you. Let's get back to the episode. Right. So what Sign does is design and manufacture implants and instruments for orthopedic trauma injuries within low resource areas around the world. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about kind of the medical device orthopedics world in general and how what you're seeing year after year is just like a technology upgrade. You know, you're getting 
better and better and better. And then it's like, you know, the device needs all of this electricity and then all of these wires and all these, all of these different things that you might not find in a rural clinic. So at Sign, what have you seen that was very, very different than, you know, other medical device companies? And what is the process like for you guys? Sure, sure. So I think in the U.S. markets, because the medical devices are so competitive, they have to have a unique selling point, right? So there's this, yeah. you, you know, the USP side of it. And so that unique selling point, you know, so they're always coming up with unique ways of doing things. And it's that like, well, ours is a little bit better than yours because of this, right? This one little this aspect of it. Aspect yep. it may be, right? And so uh, a good example is we, so we treat long bone fractures, right? So the tibia, so I start down at the shin bone. So the tibia, the, the femur, and then the humerus, which is in the arm. Uh, and so that's what our primary goal is, is they, because overseas in low resource settings, when those are fractured and they don't heal properly, then that is literally poverty is a breakaway for a lot of these people, right? And so if they can't get treatment and it doesn't heal correctly, they don't work. And then, you know, it could be... They can't go to school. They can't work. They, they, there's right. a mental health problem. So all of these things, all yeah. It. And, it's in some, and in some countries and in some settings, that is, it's literally a death curse to them, right? Because right. they just they can't make a living and they won't eat. Uh, and so then they're reliant on, on the charity of others. So we have a universal nail. Right. So here's a great example. We have a couple of different types of intermedullary nails. And so for the audience that doesn't understand what that is, it's a it's essentially a stainless steel rod. And the surgeon is going to place that rod down the center of the bone canal because his goal is to stabilize that fracture during healing. And then he attaches, I'll say attaches, he interlocks <laughs> that, that yep. rod to the bone by putting in bone screws. And the ends of this stainless steel rod, there's holes. And so he has to put bone screws through the bone into that hole in the rod. But he does that in this in a low resource setting. Our system is set up to not require an x-ray machine in surgery, mm. right? And so that's kind of the unique part of it. And, and there's a lot around why we have to do it that way. And in the US or in Europe, what a surgeon will do is he'll have a real-time x-ray machine in surgery. And so right. when he places that that nail down the center of the bone canal, he sees where the, where the holes are on the end of that. He know, he'll know where to make an incision and where to drill a hole so that the, the bone screw can go into that. Yeah, they're and, able to take a picture every five seconds to be like, okay, this right. is exactly the right place. I'm in the right place, right. And yep. so our system is a, um, you attach a nail to that, to a targeting system, and it's placed down the center of the canal. And then on the outside of the patient, the surgeon will know using our... I'll call it a, you know, if you're a woodworker or have mm -hmm. done anything, it's really like a drill jig, right? It's right. a little jig that tells them where to make an incision, where to drill a hole. And then they can blindly place that screw into that, the end of the nail and interlock the nail to the bone. And uh, so that's, um, that's what our product does. And so. And they're doing this without x-ray technology or any of that. Yeah. Just... Yeah. They're doing that. They'll have the, the you know, they have to have an x-ray to understand what the fracture is. And so. Right. And so that's, they'll do a pre-op x-ray, but a lot of times that x-ray machine is in a different part of the hospital or a different part of the hospital campus, like literally across the campus, mm. in, you know, um, and, and, or we had one, uh, one surgeon, he was working at the hospital where he had, he didn't have an x-ray machine. So they had to get their x-ray to another clinic. The other clinic didn't have orthopedics or surgery capability. 
So they would, the patient would bring their x-ray with them to, to his hospital. Oh, wow. Right? So it's yeah. super crazy. Uh, so back to like, what's the differences between us and it? So we have one nail that, you know, if, and it can be used in the tibia, the, the femur or the humerus, and it can be used on the right-hand side of the body or the left-hand side of the body. So it's a, oh, wow. It's a okay. And it can be used, say, on the, in the femur, it'll either come down from the top of the hip it'll, or it can be used, and that's called antegrade, mm-hmm. or it can come up from the knee, bottoms up into the knee, and that's called a retrograde approach. And we can use the same nail to do what's uh, called a retrocalcaneal fusion, which is a way to fuse the ankle. So if you have a really, you know, a low tibia fracture or a, or a, the retrocalcaneal, you know, fracture that's pretty bad, then you can, you can, uh, you can fuse the ankle together, and sometimes that's required. So that single nail can do all of those, right? Where, like I said, here in the U.S. or in Europe, they're going to have a unique nail for each of those applications. Right. Or, or maybe two or three unique nails, depending on the type of fracture. Our goal is to be very universal uh, in, in our approach, and then, but also do the resource-appropriate design, right? right. And so it's really understanding what's going on in those in those hospitals and, and, uh, and the breadth of the hospitals that our surgeons work in is huge, right? So on, on one side, you know, there may be university teaching hospitals in the larger cities in Africa and Asia, uh, and they're reasonably modern, right? They're reasonably modern. They may or may not have a work access to the working C-arm in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Right? C-arm is the x-ray. Yeah, thanks. Yes. C-arm <laughs> is, that, is that real-time x-ray machine that's used in surgery. And, you know, for a variety of reasons, right? Maybe they don't have the maintenance crew there, right? They can, can maintain it or they save it for surgeries that absolutely require the use of the C-arm. And they know that with our equipment, they don't have to, they don't have to have it in an operating theater that has a C-arm, right? So they may, depending on their surgical load on their hospital, they may choose to not use that operating theater. So that's one extreme. And on the other extreme is, like I said, a hospital that may not have an x-ray machine in the mm-hmm. facility and the, uh, the patient has to bring an x-ray with them. And so it's that whole spectrum there that we have to do a lot of, but overseas, they don't have the same power quality. And so that's really hard on, on this electronic equipment. And so they just don't last as long in some of these countries. And, and like I said, they don't always have the trained maintenance technicians there to do the maintenance, the long-term maintenance on the equipment. So that's, right. yeah. So that's the challenges that, that our uh, surgeons and hospitals face. And so our goal then is of course, to, to try to like get out of this. We're trying to address with a universal design, this huge spectrum of use cases. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's the fun and the challenge of what of some of the work we get to do. Right. And I would say in the early days, you know, Dr. Zirkle, he had, in your interviews, right, you, you, you'll just learn that he is, he is like the most compassionate patient advocate you'll ever meet. And so he had spent a recent amount of time like collecting used medical equipment and teaching uh, surgeons overseas. And he did that for a number of years. And on, on a visit, there was a patient that, that they kept walking by, him and the surgeon that he had been working with for several years. Right. Uh, and he didn't, that, that particular patient was in traction. He'd been in traction. And so finally, doctor said, why aren't we treating this patient? And he's like, well, he's in traction. His family. So when you say traction, what does that mean? So they'll take and attach a weight to a leg via, there's a couple ways to do that. Sometimes they'll actually put pins in and attach a weight to it. And they, 
They take the fracture and they're trying to stretch it out and align the bones. Sometimes when a patient has a fracture, the, the muscles will contract and the bone ends will overlap and not right. align. And so they, they put them into traction. You know, that is a method to try to, to heal bones, but it usually doesn't work on the femurs very well uh, to get them to align. That whole uh, story with this particular patient was made Dr. Zirko realize that the work that he had been doing of donating like used U.S. medical equipment wasn't resource appropriate design because they couldn't use it. They didn't yeah. have, it goes back to the, they didn't have the right C-arms, they didn't have the right equipment. And so he had spent a number of years doing this effort and realized that it was like, it was for literally for not, right? Yeah. And so he'd helped some people, but he, and so then he realized that he had to start sign and had to do a design of that, of a, uh, implant system from scratch that was resource appropriate. So, I mean, what he was doing back then was just like, you can say that it was almost like not sustainable, you know, like mm-hmm. there would be some, some right. cases where it would work out, but then, you know, you use this one donated thing and then it's done. Right. Right. And then you hope that you get more of the same, right. right. Implants that work with the rest <laughs> of the surgical instruments. Right. So that led to the formation of Sign. And so he, in the early days of Sign, he was a voice of the customer, right? He was the voice that he would tra- He would travel like once a quarter for a week or two weeks. He'd come back. Uh, he had a whole list of ideas and things and challenges that they faced. And then the, the, at that time, the engineering team would just iterate on those designs until they mm. developed our, our IM nail system that we have today. So, okay. So that, that's a good point. I was going to ask you, like, what was your starting point? You know, did you have like a nail that you had from like a different medical device company and was like, okay, well, we're going to use this as our starting point. Then we're going to start like designing down to become universal. Yeah. Let me, I'll try to get through that in a, in a concise manner. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Um, So there's one thing about sign that I find extremely fascinating. It is extremely providential. There are things that happen at sign for no, like if you look at it externally and you're like, how did like these people come together that were not associated with each other and and, and things work out? Uh, So one of those uh, fortuitous and providential moments was a gentleman, Dr. Zirkel befriended a gentleman by the name of uh, Randy Huebner. So anybody in the orthopedic world that knows Acumed, Randy was the founder of Acumed. Mechanical engineer, super great guy. He's on our board. He's he's like one of our guest engineers, to be honest. He does a lot. Of, <laughs> he does a lot of work with us. It's super fun to work. It's super fun to work. With. The honorary <laughs> engineer. He's an honorary engineer. Yeah, he's he's really an engineer at heart, and uh, so it's fun to anyway. So Dr. Zorko had contacted uh, Randy. And they became friends out of this. And so Randy actually did the initial, they had, at that time, Acumed had a humeral nail to treat the humerus. And so he did the, he did a basic initial design for, for a sign. And it included a little bit of the instrumentation. And then from there, that kind of led to the creation of the rest of the sign system and the sign IM nail system, I should say. And then as, as things progressed, yeah, there's so much I could cover here. So part of the thing that, you mentioned this like early on in our conversation about our access to sign surgeons and our ability to communicate with them. And right. So a lot of that is facilitated because we have a surgical database. And so what we require of hospitals that are participating with this in it is that they fill out case information. So this surgical database is a long bone trauma database. Uh, a, right now there's over 200,000 cases in there. 
And so we asked that the surgeons fill out information about that surgery. We need pre-op and post-op x-rays. But the, more, the important thing is the follow-up. What we really want is the, the follow-up because then that's really, that is like the report card for the surgeon and it's a report card for right. sign, right? Because you see in there, uh, you, we get to see like, it, was the training effective? You know, how good was the surgery? And then what were the results of that surgery? And that's, you get a really good indication of, of our devices doing what they need to be doing. That's evolved over the years. And so, but a lot of that surgical database also provided an avenue for us to provide training to the surgeons because Dr. Zirkel reviews every case. And I mean, you even said that before, like he literally reviews every single case. And he will comment on cases. And sometimes the surgeons are emailing him asking questions. And so it's really, you know, that mentoring, it was like a mentoring uh, tool, right? that's evolved over time. And we have, you know, we have some board members that are also doing uh, case reviews and we have some of our, you know, because we're going to be in 2024, it'll be 25 years that sign has been doing this. Yay. Right. Wow. Super amazing. Right. That it's been that sustainable. So we have mentors now, some of our surgeons, you know, like literally the mentors have become the teachers or the students have become the mentors. Right, 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 right. right. So they're reviewing cases too, and they're doing comments. So it's kind of fun to watch how this is kind of becoming a little bit more distributed and not just, you know, focused on Dr. Zirkel and, and his ability. You're just going to do this forever. It's, it's okay. Well, it makes it sustainable, right? That's really, right. That's really what it is. And that's the goal, right? That's the whole goal to do. And so, yeah. So anyway, that is another, that's an aspect of the training. and But it also gives us a lot of feedback on the engineering team. You know, it takes some time to go study cases and, and get through it because it wasn't, the database is not structured for us to do research on. It really was structured around the report part, which is all right. It just it means that there's some great tools now that we can use and we can look at cases. So, so we review a lot of x-rays. Um, and then there's a whole part of the FDA and ISO that's called post-market surveillance, mm-hmm. where medical device companies need to monitor their devices and in, while they're in the field use. And so this is a great tool for us to do that. And I don't... I don't, I'm not aware of, of other medical device companies that actually have this level of detail and, and this magnitude of information. So, Even for like, yeah, post-op and right. yeah, that's, right. it's, that is really huge. I yeah. think, you know, when you think about like, if you're an engineer and you're listening to this, mm-hmm. you know, the engineering process within the orthopedics or med device in general, you know, you have the whole design control process where you go from inputs to outputs and, and, and you got to do like your verification and your validation. So how is it different from like a regular design control process? Because first of all, you can't just like call your doctor just like randomly and be like, Hey, like I need you to come in and like, you know, let's talk about like voice of customer and then, sure. and, and then iterate and, you know, your validation, like your validation testing where you want to get, this equipment right you know in their hands and like check off the boxes how how is that different from like a regular design control process sure in the early days in your early days they didn't know a lot about fda they didn't know a lot about stuff and they (laughs) just dr circle they would design a couple yeah and then they would dr circle take it on a trip and he'd use it and so so it was like prescribed essentially it was prescribed devices right Mm-hmm, this is what mm-hmm. they were doing at that time. So the Dr. Zirkel would talk to surgeons ahead of time on the trips. What kind of cases do you have? And then, you know, he would take nails, implants, um, maybe a few instruments that, you know, they because they talk through what might be needed. 
or, right. or based on the previous trip, you're like, if I had this instrument, it was slightly different. And so that's how the system evolved in the early days. Now that the, I'll say the IM nail system is fairly mature and it's got a lot of feedback on it. The way it works is we'll get, whether it's through the database, through email conversations, or the one thing I haven't talked about is we do an in-person conference once a year. Okay. Except on those really bad COVID years. Um, yeah. We do an in-person conference and, and, uh, it used to be that we would have like 120 or 130 surgeons that would show up at our headquarters in Richland, Washington. So it's out in Eastern Washington. And uh, then it, it's like, it'd be four days of uh, surgeons giving lectures on mm -hmm. like they would do presentations. They'd have to, you know, apply to do, you know, here's the abstracts and the doctors would and in the sign team would approve them. Uh, then they'd group them together based on topics yeah. And then, so it was a lot of peer-to-peer -peer learning between the surgeons. But in that, what the engineering team would get was you start hearing the voice of the customer. Like, oh, right. See what the needs are, right? Mm -hmm. So then that would lead to conversations during lunch and breaks and in the evenings. Like, hey, you know, sketches. Like, what do you need? Um, you'd also, you know, we would do, we do Sawbones training uh, on this, on the system, on the different approaches. And so uh, engineers do, well, we get to do all of that training. Uh, with those surgeons, and you know, sometimes it's super fun when you have a, a young resident that's come over from from another country, and they really don't know the system. And you get a train, mm -hmm. and then you'll have a mentor there. You have somebody that's done maybe a thousand surgeries. <laughs> oh <laughs> right? wow! And you look at their name card, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You you need to be teaching, right? And <laughs> you know, right? And so, yeah, not so, me. <laughs> right? It's pretty intimidating, but then they're like, you know. Um, they just, they're really good because they're very respectful and they're like, they just interject like, oh yeah, but if you try this, you know, like, and so they would, uh, so it's pretty fun to listen to them. And then out of that, then of course, if, if as an engineer, you're just like, we're just, it's, it's a dream, right? That you have all of these, this huge customer base and, and you hear the voice of many customers. Do you right? see a difference between like from one country to another country or like, you know, between cultures as well. Like, is there, is there maybe a difference in the way that, I don't know. I'm just, there are, there are some, there are some, yeah. um, sometimes the bulk of our surgeons are native to their countries, right? They're okay. Native. But we also have a lot of U S surgeons, uh, and or like Italian surgeons. There's a couple of Italian surgeons in Kenya, but in particular the U S surgeons, some of them maybe are going over because they're doing, uh, it's a mission trip for them, right. but, they, but they're over there six months out of the year or three months out of the year, or they're over there two or three years. And then they, then they have to come back and do us boards and work in the U S for a couple of years. And then they go back. Right. And so some of them have dedicated their life to, to, and, uh, you know, helping the injured poor. So uh, very much like doctors, report, but, but they're living overseas and doing that. And so sometimes the U S surgeons, particularly ones that travel over there, they, they can be a little bit uh, like, no, I like my way of doing it. But, you know, and so they they have, they have adapted our surgical technique to a, a method that they have. And so, you you know, and so sometimes it's like, well, we, but we designed it to be used this way, right? And so you end up yeah. in discussions and that's all right. That's all right, right? And so, because sometimes we find, you know, better ways or different ways of doing things. So that's probably one difference where, like, particularly in Asia, they're, they are like super respectful and they, they're very good at following through the technique. They're very good at, you know, you have to listen very carefully for them to tell you that, that they don't like something oh. they, because they don't always, they're not, they're not black and white and telling you that. Right. And so we give them permission a lot of times, like, I need you to tell me what is bad. What is, 
you know, I know, right? So it's okay. Perspective, like, what is it that isn't working for you? Like, what is right. it? Because I can't fix it unless you don't tell us. Right. And so, uh, so sometimes you have to give them permission to do that. And I would say the African surgeons come in. Some of them are very like, once you have that conversation about, I, you you have my permission to tell us, right? Uh, because they also don't want to like tell you that something's, I don't want to say wrong. But it's like, this we, sucks. We, I'm we, we could do it differently, right? You can make it better and you can do it differently because they, they understand, they understand what we're doing, right. And how we're right. helping people. And so, uh, you know, so we, and we have some great examples of stuff where we've gotten feedback and it's driven changes in our design. We have a, we have a collinear clamp that's used to like clamp the bones together to mm-hmm. help in the, what's called the reduction. So aligning the bones up. And, you know, we went through a whole, you know, our, the design verification and, and uh, validation steps. And then, you know, the surgeons started using it. And, and a couple of them were like, hey, the, the handle's too small. I need to put more pressure on it. I'm using it. It was designed for long bones, but they're like, I'm using it in pelvic surgery and I need a longer grip and I need to do this. Yeah. Um, and so can you change the shape of that handle so it doesn't hurt my hand so much? And so it's just something really simple that's that, that ergonomic side of it where, you know, they actually expand the use of our devices. And so then we go back and we make an iteration. On it. So, you know, that's, anyway, that's, uh, that's part of what we get to do with them. And uh, so our, when we do our bench testing, a lot of times it's with saw bones, they're foam uh, replicas of bones. Dr. Zirkel will do the surgeries with us. You know, we worked out a technique with that. We, with this in-person conference, then we try to do all our new devices there. There's usually, uh, we have breakout sessions where engineers are, we're showing them all our new devices. But again, it's really like we're capturing feedback. We're like mm, watching them how okay. they use it, you know, because we try to, you try to make your devices very intuitive on how to use and so you'll show them uh, that. And so you'll see like, oh, they don't understand, right? Whatever it is our Western way of thinking on, on how, right. Right. Oh. Is it maybe like the, the way that they were, you know, they don't have that experience or that. So we have to think about it differently. And so then you watch them and say, like, well, okay, uh, you know, why did you pick it up that way? You know, and how did you, ha- you handle it? Yeah. This way? Why was it that you did that? And so some of it is, is it's just, they were taught a certain way. And so then it makes us have to think about that, you know, how we do our devices. Slightly differently. And so that the other thing that we actually have had this in the last five conferences is we've had bioskills labs. So it started out where we had a company um, and I'll, I'll promote them surgical training Institute. And, uh, and uh, they're out of Vancouver, Washington. They show up with a semi tractor trailer and it has oh, wow. eight surgical stations in it, right? It's, it has slide outs. It slides out to be a triple wide. They have eight surgical stations and then uh, they were donated specimens and we did three days of uh, essentially cadaver training with these surgeons from overseas. And so that's another way. So now we're going to do the validation side, right? Yeah. Yeah, right, right. So it's super <laughs> fun. And uh, um, since then, we've actually been able to remodel our building. And we actually have our own bioskills lab now. And uh, so we commissioned it last fall. We had a conference. And, and we've kind of shrunk, decided to change our, our annual conference to be more like 30 or 40 surgeons. It's so a little more, a little smaller, a little more intimate. But again, we had eight bioskills sessions in there, a couple spine sessions uh, with some spine surgeons and, and doing spinal trauma uh, initial training, and then uh, and then all the long bone training. So we are in there. We have a skin graft system we're working on right now, and so we were in there with the surgeons, like practicing and like having them tested, giving us feedback. Oh, if you can change this, 
And so part of that started in uh, in a breakout session where it was a bench top bench top testing. Yeah. And then we had a chance to move it into the lab and had them use it uh, with the specimens and give us feedback. And so so we have this really unique opportunity of how we get to do our, our verification and validation. And so, or maybe we have a, a board member that's that's visiting, or or sometimes local orthopedic surgeon, and right. we'll ask them if they can they can do some work with us and do the verify, you know, the validation side of it. Yeah. So anyway, super fun that we have the access to these surgeons. That is, I think that is so cool. I I just want to ask you, like, how cool is it for you to see sign evolve over mm-hmm. the years? You know, it's really fun because I, in the early days, I didn't have a ton of exposure to, uh, you know, okay, so I didn't ever finish my story, right? So I did that short part-time stantless sign back about 11 or 12 years ago. Oh, right, right, right. right? And then after that, the company that I was working for that did the little uh, Star Trek handheld x-ray fluorescence, we would sponsor uh, tables at their fundraisers. Okay. So, so I, and I knew two of the engineers here had, had worked for me in the past, so it was always fun to show up and and uh, kind of talk to him at the fundraisers. And, and then Jean, the CEO, and I, like I said, we are on this committee together. So I'd see her two or three times a year uh, outside of a, a sign. And then one day I had my job that I had was a super good job, but I was ready to move on. Culturally, there was a <laughs> lot. It was ready. I was ready to move on from a, from a corporate culture, quarterly mm-hmm. profit mm-hmm. standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you get it. If you're ever into that, you know, engineering is a cost center. And it's just like, you know, they were going to save their way to prosperity. They didn't, they weren't, they didn't know how to sort out uh, and do a product and, and sell products well. <laughs> to, uh, and so anyway, so it was, uh, it was, I was kind of looking and uh, the CEO, she called me up one day. She's like, Hey, I think I need to, we're making changes in the engineering department. Are you, are you interested? You want to come talk to us? And I said, sure. She goes, okay, well, we need, why don't you, why don't I meet you for dinner? And I, and she had like, she had an auditor that was in the building that day that oh was, uh, and she goes, I want you to meet Sarah, our internal auditor. And, uh, all right, I can do that. So I, I go to dinner. Well, it wasn't just Jean and the auditor. It was the rest of the management team. And oh my God. It was an interview. It was they an ambushed interview. you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and I knew, you know, I kind of knew most of them. So <laughs> anyway, so they kind of, that conversation led to a job offer. And so I walked away from a corp- the corporate world. Uh, to come join Sign, and that was six years ago. And uh, don't regret it one bit at all, right? Um, I'll have a different retirement than probably what I would have had before, but whatever. I have I have so much more satisfaction in what I'm doing and the impact that we're making. So anyway, it's uh, – yeah, anyway, that's part of my – I mean, I can see it in your face. Yeah, like, right. I mean, it's, it's six years. It's not like you're yeah. a new engineer and you're like, oh, am I so excited? It's just like you're – it seems yeah. like – you know, every day it's just like a new adventure. <laughs> it is. It is totally a new adventure. Part of that's Doctor Zirkel. Part of that's Doctor because he is an intra- <laughs> he is an entrepreneur at heart, mm-hmm. and uh, and he just will be like, yeah, okay, I know you guys are working on this. Finish because I need to go to the next thing and end right. And so we're always he's always challenging and pushing us, and that's you know contrary to an engineer, right? We like to be very sequential and work through a problem, right? So that's. Uh, it keeps us on our toes for sure. It's like almost like a startup environment. It is a lot of ways in a lot of ways. Yeah, it is. And uh, wow. Um, yeah. So what else? Like, I we, mean, we got, I, we could go on for a couple hours. I know, <laughs> but I really, I really want to close this interview by 
you know, asking you what what's in the works for Sign. You know, what are you most excited about for the future? You know, there's uh, there's a couple things there. Um, I think well, one of them is we've had about four years ago we met a couple of spine surgeons at the Canadian Orthopedic Association. Uh, conference. And so Dr. Zirkel and Gene and I had gone up there and we did some sawbones training to um, session during their, their conference. And so there was a young surgeon there. Uh, she was just finishing, uh, she was just starting her, her spinal uh, residency uh, at Supriya Singh. And um, so she kind of reached out to us and like, Hey, what would you ever, you know, we, you know, we've been thinking about spine trauma and uh, like, we would like to like learn about your model and what you do at sign. And is it, could we do something with spine? That has evolved into there's a whole spine team. Hmm. Um is on there. Another doctor, Brahm uh, Razunajad, and I always am terrible at his pronouncing his name. Uh, another Canadian spine surgeon. And then we have a Dr. Mike Kashia that's out of Indiana. He's on our board. They are like, they're like the core of this team. And then we have another uh this surgeon Soraya Karomi, she's at uh, HSS back in New York, another spine surgeon. And she's she's actually been acquainted with Dr. Zirkel for years. When she started medical school, she, like, she like, reached out. She's good friends with one of our spine surgeons in uh, Myanmar, Dr. Ong. Uh, she's traveled over there a couple times. Uh, anyway, so that kind of, those four are starting to, to develop with some neurosurgeons uh, a plan to do spine trauma. Um, oh, wow. And, and to, to, the goal is to, to set up a couple training hospitals in Africa and in Asia. So right now there's Kenya, Tanzania, and uh, Nepal are the, are the places that they're initially targeting. Uh, and so it's really to go in and treat you know, thoracic lumbar injuries <laughs> for the most part and then have rehabilitation on the, on the backside, right? They don't, they have to have all of that, but it's really to set up a residency program in those countries so that they we have a Nepali surgeon and a Kenyan surgeon that are doing their um, their spinal uh, residency in, in uh, Canada at Western, and so they're they're going through and do I should say their fellowship. It's really their spinal fellowship mm-hmm. there, and um, uh, so Brahm has been able to get that coordinated with the with the university there. So then they will go back to their countries, and then they will start uh, a. A uh, spinal there. fellowship program at those hospitals in those countries. Um, and then it'll be like one or two fellows a year. Uh, and then, you know, the, the key there is going to be like, can they get implants at a, you know, quality implants at a reasonable cost that's sustainable. Right. And so there's a whole, like a couple parallel efforts there. Uh, can we find the right quality of implants from that are cleared with the FDA? That's kind of like one of the requirements right. we want because you know that they've gone through the, the appropriate testing. Uh, and then uh, and is the, the, pro, the, the right cost structure. So there's also a, an effort of doing some conceptual designs of pedicle screws right around that. And so that's, for me, that's super exciting, partly because my grandmother was paralyzed. Mm. And I saw the struggle that she went through back in the 60s and 70s. Um, right. Which I think is some of those countries, you know, their medical capability is similar to what we had back in those days in some ways, uh, or maybe less. And so having that ability to, to get treated for that spinal trauma is kind of a big deal. 
Um, yeah. So that's one that's one aspect there. You know, we're trying to it's getting treated separate from the the long bone efforts. So that, so they have to raise their own funds, right? So we're nonprofit, mm. so it's like we don't want to take away from the long bone uh, because then that becomes an opportunity cost for who we who we can serve, right? And so they're working through all of that, and it's super fun to watch them. It's a, they're a very, very passionate, very yeah, I mean, obviously extremely intelligent. So for me, it's like it's fun to work with all of these people that have uh, extremely articulate and that make me think differently. And yeah. you know, so it's they raise you up, right? That's really the cool. That's the cool part. And uh, with it, and even overseas, the surgeons overseas, like these guys are incredibly good surgeons. When you think about it, right? Like these right. surgeons are doing these surgeries in these types of conditions where like they don't have the, the x-ray the technology and they all of the floral. They don't. They don't. Right, right, right. And that's what we see sometimes in the U S hospitals where it's like, Oh, I'm not really sure. I'm just going to take a picture here or I'm going to take a picture here. And you're not able to do that. So yeah, it's. Right. So wow. they become very, very good surgeons. They're very tactile oriented. And, and, and some of the, you see, you know, looking at x-rays and you see the huge, uh, defect maybe from that uh, injury and then what, mm-hmm. how it turns out. And you're like, this is amazing, right? It's totally amazing. Um, so that's spine. I'm going to go back. Spine's one of the aspects I'm pretty excited about to see where it ends up. We have a new system. We're going to launch a skin graft system. That's will be the summer. I, we'll, we'll get that out into the field. So low cost, when you see a lot of the road traffic accidents, there's a lot of pretty severe uh, soft tissue damage and so right. skin flaps and the ability to, uh, Take, take a skin graft and cover up some of those damaged areas is uh, pretty important. It'll also probably get used in a lot of burn victims. You see that in a lot of the countries where they're using uh, wood and cooking fuel for cooking. Uh, you know, there's a lot of right. there's a lot of pediatric burn patients because you know they don't a child reaches up and grabs a pot and yeah. boiling water or something. You know, so you see you see a lot of that, and so that's another one that we know will be super impactful. And then um, we're also doing dabbling in infection control and infection prevention, which is, you know, for engineers, it's like totally weird, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, a lot of our cases show uh, present late to the hospital, right? So right. in most of these countries, they don't have emergency services like we have here in the U.S. So, you, you know, you don't call 911. They're not showing up in minutes and taking you to the hospital, right? And so... Some countries have it in some of the larger cities, but not in all cases. And so mm-hmm. in some cases, they may be days to weeks or months after the injury that they have the ability, to, you know, they save money to pay for the trip to the hospital. Right. Right. And so they present late uh, to the hospital and some of them are going to be infected. And so you're like, how do you help them? And, you know, without, you know, the surgeons obviously have a lot of antibiotics that they can use. Uh, some of them are easier to access in some countries than others, but... But then, you know, that antibiotic resistance, right, that whole, you know, there's a lot of infections that have resistance to antibiotics. And so if you keep adding antibiotics in, it's really hard. And that and you just keep promoting that, um, that antibiotic resistance. resistance. Mm-hmm. So we have a couple of surgeons that have asked and they're using UV lights, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of times wow. that's, that's used in the U.S., you know, to, to, but they're, they're disinfecting whole rooms with lights. Right, and so a couple of the surgeons have handheld, and they're they're using it as a prep before surgery, so the skin area, the local area. And we've 
reached out and talked to experts in the UV light field and skins and dermatologists. And <laughs> so, you know, there's a, there's a gentleman that from the UK that had worked at Harvard and a, a doctor there. And he, I mean, he's published hundreds of papers, right? And so we just call them, email them and call them up and half the time they answer and then we get to talk to them. Right. And so <laughs> so uh, you also don't become very bashful at sign. Right. And then you explain what you're doing. And usually a lot of times, you know, we see people are like, Oh yeah, absolutely. We want to help. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So How could they not? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the infection control and, and infection prevention is one. We have another company called United guardian. They make a product called chlorpactin. It's been around for years since the fifties. It's actually, it's, it was, uh, it's considered an over the counter antiseptic. Okay. Uh, it is very similar. It's like a very strong Dakin solution, which is a essentially chlorine based, but it's a more pH neutral. A lot of, uh, it's used a lot for installation on, uh, like bladder infections and things like that, urinary tract infections, but a lot of orthopedic surgeons use it as a, a rinse out before doing say a total hip or total knee. And it's like that last chance to, to like, to kill any bacteria. Kill any. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so that we have a, a surgeon in Uganda that's doing a, a clinical trial over there and comparing it against the standards uh, that they use, which is like an iodine-based product, like a betadine. Right, uh, right, Or right. they use acetic acid a lot of times or just saline rinse, right? So he's doing a clinical study uh, with that. We have a nice relationship with United Guardians where they're, they will either donate or at cost, depending on how much we're buying. Uh, another company called uh, Biocomposites out of the UK, they make a calcium sulfate product called Stimulin. And uh, so there's some U.S. surgeons that, and a technique that they will use where they'll mix antibiotics into that calcium sulfate. And so if you have a large bone defect or infected bone, uh, they will. you can make antibiotic beads out of it and place it in that, that surgical site, or they will actually uh, fill the canal partway with it and press the nail in into that. And then it provides additional support. And then that right. calcium sulfate will reabsorb over time. And then with the antibiotics there, it's really localized. And so you're not treating the whole body with it. You're treating that local infection site. So there's a, uh, a FSC there in that approach. We have a couple of surgeons that are starting to use that. And, and biocomposites have donated uh, uh, some of their stimulant product to us uh, with that. And so, so that's kind of another fun part that we're doing. Wow. Where, you know, because it's an extension of, of some of the issues that we see in the field with some of the surgeons and that, you know, and like I said, when, when you have an open fat fracture that has presented late and they haven't had medical treatment, it's going to be infected. Right. Well, uh, yeah. And just to explain like an open fracture is essentially when the bone's sticking out of your, right. <laughs> your arm or your leg. Right. 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 Wow. Um, so that's yeah, kind of what's in the works right now. And, uh, and we have lots of other little devices that we're working on. A lot of times, the one thing I didn't really talk about is one of the challenges that we face at Sign is our, our uh, we manufacture in-house, but we also have sometimes where we need to go out of house and do contribute contract manufacturers. So mm-hmm. it's finding, you know, sometimes our pr- production volumes are low. And so you're trying to like have a design that's low cost. Right. But a lot of times low cost designs come with volume because you can do manufacturing processes right. that, that allow, that are less, uh, labor intensive, you know, like if you're stamping products or, or injection molding, the cost usually comes down, but you'd need to do a lot of volume with that. So anyway, so that's one of the challenges is trying to get to a design that's the right cost structure so that, you know, we can treat a lot of patients with them. Right. right. And, and that's kind of been my career, right? Small volume, cost pressure, lots of cost pressure on it. 
cost so pressure. Yes. Right, it, right. I mean, that's my corporate work, like rule. Yeah, you get a lot of cost pressure, right? And so, which is really what it is. And so, as a nonprofit, we're trying to treat more patients, right? Oh my gosh, this is so cool. This is so 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 cool. I've, I I didn't even realize the amount of work that you guys are doing. Thank you so much for what you do and your time, Terry. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like I said, it's super fun to tell people about sign. You know, because in the orthopedic world, you know, a lot of the uh, doctor circles peers who, quite frankly, are retiring and not showing up to the orthopedic association meetings much anymore. Right. You know, they signs well known, right? But with the new generation of surgeons, particularly, I think they were less known, and so that's going to be, you know, that's part of the the opportunity and the challenge is to get some education there. I think overseas in a lot of countries were very well known. I had an African surgeon that said, you know, orthopedic trauma in Africa would not exist without sign. That surgery, oh, wow. right? That's huge. That's a huge statement. Because Dr. Zuckel provided all that training, provided equipment and training, residency programs are set up in these hospitals and they cycle through like in Tanzania and Kenya and Ethiopia, they cycle you know, some of the larger university hospitals, they cycle a lot of residents through. And those residents go off to rural hospitals. And eventually they will, you know, there's a certain percentage of them that become sign surgeons. Right. And they will. Dedicated sign surgeons. Wow. Right? That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we could have, we could have, epi- you know, we could do episodes on certain surgeons, right? There's some, there's, wow. there's a couple of Italian surgeons that would be super fun for you to talk to. Yeah. And the innovations wow. that they're doing. One in particular, he's developing that, uh, phone app to do follow-up with that's great oh my gosh okay yeah we just we we, we are out of time but thank you so much for your time thank you for listening to this episode if you'd like to learn more about today's topic and guest head over to the show notes linked in the description of this episode There, you can get access to resources, links, and ways you can get involved in the pursuit for global health. And if you loved this episode, don't forget to write me a review on Apple Podcasts and rate the podcast on Spotify. It helps me get in front of more people just like you and continues to elevate the causes we are so passionate about. I'll see you in the next one.